Hello listeners, we know it's been a while that we've released an episode and it is, I guess, not consistent to our release cycle. But in a bid to share the human side to this podcast, there's just been a lot of stuff going on on the personal side of your host. And so we had to put the podcast on a pause. Don't worry, nothing bad or anything, mostly good. Just life has been crazy and hectic and um, juggling school and work and life as we've shared in the past that we have can sometimes be cumbersome. So we took a break. But no doubt we'll be coming back next year. Plan to stick to the schedule. Two bi-weekly episodes as as good as we can. We have a bunch of episodes and a bunch of ideas planned for the new year. So we promise to not take too many breaks as we have this year as often. To wrap up the year, however, we would like to bring you this conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we spoke to the executive director of a nonprofit called Yamba Malawi. As the name suggests, this nonprofit is based out of Malawi, which is a southeastern um, country in Africa. And both myself and my co-host Akedi both really enjoy this conversation. And we are glad that we got to host it and we get to share this perspective with you all. So we hope that you, as you listen, you enjoy, you reflect on it and you let us know your thoughts either through email or social media. We would just lo- love to hear what you think or what you what ideas that you've come up with as a result of listening to this episode. Happy holidays from the Pod Save Africa team. Yes, welcome back to Pod Save Africa. It's your host, Akande, and I have the pleasure of being here with my co-host, Ori Kansala, and the founder of Yama Malawi, uh, Getrude. Um, we're going to be discussing in additional detail um, what her organization does, the value they drive in Malawi, and, and, and how that can potentially be a model for the broader continent. Uh, but we're really excited to have her, so we'll let Getrude share a little bit about herself, and then we'll, we'll kick off the conversation. Hello, um, my name is Getrod Kabwazi. I'm the executive director for an organization called Yamba Malawi. Yamba is a Ichichewa word for beginning, 
and our focus is on children. We focus on children because that's the foundation of humanity. And we make sure we want to make sure that children have um, access to a lot of opportunities that are like um, helping them to grow, but also survive, but also become more productive citizens. So we focus on children because we want to give um, opportunities at the foundational level. So. That's what I do. I'm the executive director and I'm based in Malawi. Malawi is in the southern uh, part of Africa. So that's where I am right now. Yes, thank you for gleaning that groundwork. I actually do not know that's what Yamba means. And so that makes perfect sense. Uh, so one of the contexts that we've spoken about in you know scheduling this conversation and one of the reasons why we're excited to have you is because you are a nonprofit that is functioning currently and you've gone through COVID and all of that. So if you could please give us an idea of the type of pro projects and programs that Yamba runs and how that has transitioned during before COVID and after COVID. Um, Yamba Malawi, as I mentioned, is an organization that's focusing on uh, addressing the vulnerabilities of children and um, the vulnerabilities of these children, like in Malawi, generally uh, the drivers are mainly poverty. A lot of children in Malawi live uh, under multidimensional poverty. Multidimensional poverty, in short, is uh, a condition where children lack uh, one of the seven key uh, domains, like they are lacking in the seven key domains. And these domains described by UNICEF as um, education, um, nutrition, um, food security. There's also water and sanitation, housing, but also child protection in general. So if a child lacks two of the seven key uh, mentioned you know, domains, then um, access to the seven domains, then uh, that child is described as multidimensionally poor. So about 60, over 60% uh, of children in Malawi are described as multidimensionally poor. So Yamba Malawi is uh, working to address uh, that condition. As, as I said, we know that child poverty has an impact on the children, but also its manifestation uh, is very evident when people grow up, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, development of the body, but also of the mind. That in itself, research has shown that children who have been, who have failed or who have had no opportunities to access these uh, opportunities or access to the seven domains, they have challenges in, in terms of development, survival and growth. So Yamba Malawi is uh, doing that three, uh, through three um, key pillars. Uh, first of all, I just must, I want to make, to mention that we are promoting what we are calling poverty graduation model. Mm -hmm. The poverty graduation model is simple. It's trying to address child poverty, trying to create an enabling uh, environment for the children to grow in accessing, you know, all those opportunities. Look at education, uh, you know, health, nutrition, food security, to have decent housing, but also to make sure that they have access to water and sanitation facilities that create an enabling environment for their development. So this poverty graduation model is uh, trying to address poverty issues in short at a household level. 
Um, you know, um, a lot of households in Malawi do not have access to, you know, sustainable incomes. And as such, they don't have the resources. When I talk about resources, they don't have the money to address the needs of the children. They can't have, uh, you know, food. Even those who have food, it's not as nutritious. So we make sure that they have uh, sustainable incomes, but also they are having access to, you know, um, to the to the key things that can help a child to survive and grow and also become. So we work with the household when we get started, we make sure that the child has uh, the needs. Immediately, the program is enrolled in the program. Uh, we provide uh, resources through like money, but also trainings and coaching to make sure that one, uh, the household knows or enhances childcare skills and knowledge. We know that already as Africans, we have our own ways of like childcare, which are excellent, mm -hmm. very good. But we also want to enhance that using other ways of like, how do we enhance you know, those skills? So as such, we have a curriculum, which is in integrating indigenous knowledge, both the conventional, but the indigenous knowledge as well, just to make sure that the child is growing and appreciating uh, the, the caregivers, are, you know, appreciating the indigenous knowledge and using it effectively, but also learning other ways of making sure that the child grows, uh, but also uh, survives. Uh, so that curriculum uh, is the we are the only organization in Malawi that's you know um, using an integrated uh, curriculum early childhood development curriculum that is integrated with indigenous knowledge so we are championing that we also want to make sure that um, whatever we are promoting within the communities resonates very well with their already existing practices, beliefs, and values. There are some things that we believe they are very good in the context that we work in, and we want to promote that. We don't want to overshadow uh, good practices that were already in existence before we went there to work with the communities. But also, secondly, um, we also provide monthly incomes uh, this comes through stipends, what we can call stipends. Uh, we know that at a point where we identify these households, we are, we are, we are targeting ultra poor households. And as such, at the point of identification, they don't have uh, stable incomes. As such, they may not necessarily have resources to meet the children's needs. So we provide cash, uh, cash like monthly cash uh, for them to meet the needs of the children. So every month they get an equivalent of $20 uh, so that they can buy whatever they can buy for, uh, for to meet the needs of the children. Um, but also after six months, we also support the households with a capital asset. In short, we can call it um, startup money, mm -hmm. seed money for their businesses. So during the six months that we are working with the household, we open the business uh, and entrepreneurship to make sure that they have the skills and knowledge how to run businesses. We do this because we believe uh, they have the means and the capacity to generate their own income. So that we are what we're trying to do is to make sure that they are organized, but also they understand the principles, the A's and the B's of how to run a business, how to record their you know trans business transactions and so on and so forth. 
But we also are promoting financial literacy. We want to make sure that the, you know, uh, the households understand the need to, uh, for instance, plan their, their, the future of the children, including saving for the children's needs, uh, educational needs, but also other needs that the child might need in future. As such, we train them, we orient them to the key basic, you know, financial literacy issues. Uh, how to do a budget, how to plan, how to do savings. So they are also mobilized. We facilitate mobilization of uh, the households into what we call like uh, village banks. Because you know, most of the people in Malawi do not have access to uh, the conventional banks. As such, they don't have the means to save up their money. And as such, they don't have a saving culture. However, through our program, we are trying to create an enabling environment where we, even in the absence of the conventional banks, they can still uh, have, you know, these principles. They can still understand the principles. They can also appreciate the need to save for the future. So they have village banks where they have uh, money that is saved, locked up safely uh, somewhere where they find safe as a group. And uh, at the end of the year, they share the proceeds, which at the end of the year has you know, generated um, profit uh, through the money that they get as loans from the same money. It's a whole lot of principle. I would take a lot of time to explain it. But uh, just to be brief, it's a concept that helps and enables the households to save or to, to, to promote the saving culture. Um, but also we are supporting these households uh, with a lot of you know, connection, linkages and connection, because we do understand that as an organization, we may not necessarily you know, run programs that are addressing all their needs. However, we know that there are other organizations but also government itself is also running, but also implementing other programs within the communities that we are working in. So we work in collaboration with these institutions, providing linkages and referrals to uh, the households to have access to services, but also other resources that are going to supplement or enhance uh, their you know, uh, capacities in terms of like uh, ensuring that their, ch their children are growing up health, but also they are also accessing the rightful uh, opportunities. Fantastic. So, so it seems like a huge part of your model is partnering with both the households with other organizations to make sure that needs are met. Um, we understand that the focal point of many households tends to be the mothers and the women in those, in those families. I'm curious about how you engage women in, in, in Malawian families, especially in these in these uh, poorer households. And, and how does that interact with the backdrop of broader kind of managing that the dynamics around gender inequality? Um, how does your organization strategize around those things? Sorry, Aki. Akiade, is it uh, yes. is it possible for me to get back because I missed out on the COVID nineteen question? Sure, uh, sure, the, sure. No, the, you go the ahead and answer COVID nineteen. Yeah. So can I go ahead and talk about COVID nineteen? So, yes, so, yeah. Um, as you know, that you know, Yamba Malawi has many organizations worldwide and even on the continent. Uh, we experienced a lot of setback uh, due to the COVID nineteen. Uh, we were impacted. You know, we were supposed to be launching new programs and new sites. And 
other activities that were already running, we had to suspend, you know, those programs for a bit of time just to make sure that we are keeping our staff safe, but more important to keep the communities safe, uh, you know, from the COVID-19 infections. Uh, so that was a huge setback on the point of uh, uh, Yamba Malawi. However, um, this also created an opportunity for being creative. We also learned how to be creative, but also explore other opportunities when it comes to usage of technology. So before the COVID-19 uh, you know, period, uh, we were largely, you know, working without really, you know, we were thinking about technology, we were tapping into technology, but when the COVID-19, you know, hit, we thought about how do we make sure that the communities are not left behind? How do we make sure that, yes, we are challenged in terms of like visitations, but we can still remain connected with the communities. So we opted to make sure that all our program participants should have phones. And in those phones, we shared information. We, make sure, we made sure that we always remain connected with the, um, with the, our, you know, our partners, our program participants, you know, sharing some key information. Like for instance, there were households that were doing farming activities that needed some extension services, you know, uh, information on certain things on how to harvest soya, how to grade, you know, groundnuts and stuff. They still remained in connection with our staff and other government officials to make sure that they have access to the right information and nothing should really go on the zero ground. So that in itself helped us to sort of still remain relevant, still you know, make sure that on the ground, uh, the communities were not suffering. They had not been like impacted highly. They were impacted, yes, but they were not so impacted. But we also made sure that we... Uh, the communities had information around COVID. As you know, there were a lot of myths and misconceptions around COVID-19. They still are there. But as an organization, we made sure that we went into the communities sharing, but also creating awareness on COVID-19. I would gladly say that Yamba Malawi was the first organization that worked with Ministry of Health uh, through their communications department in Lilongwe to go around the communities to talk about COVID-19, to provide information around COVID-19. But only, not only that, we reached out uh, more than 200,000 uh, households with that information just to make sure that the community members have that kind of information on COVID-19. But we also distributed SOAP uh, because at that point we realized that uh, soap and other, you know, uh, hygiene facilities were key in COVID-19 prevention. But sadly, most of the households in Malawi could not afford soap. So we provided soap to more than 5,000 households, but also masks. Yeah, we provided masks to more than 5,000 households as well. But we also made sure that we distributed uh, water buckets and hand washing, you know, facilities in the um, in the communities. Apart from distribu distributing the hand washing, you know, buckets, we also trained the communities to produce their own hand washing facilities, making from locally available resources like used bottles and stuff as part of recycling, but also uh, as way of making sure that it's more sustainable than to bring in, you know, those buckets in the communities. Uh, so that's what we did. But apart from that, we also distributed maize and rice because at that point in time, uh, people's activities had slowed down. And as such, 
uh, people who were used to petty trading in the markets, they were closed up. They would not go to the markets. There was a lot of talk around, please remain in your households. And the markets were affected, but especially in the markets was affected, so they could not make much, much money. So we were aware that as such, people would have problems with uh, food. So we provided uh, with another partner of ours, Jem, which is um, uh, promoting agriculture and you know supporting farmers. They we, we donated rice and and maize to the households, more than five thousand households as well. But we also distributed you know um, money, like just to make sure that the households really had something, had money uh, in their pockets during that time. So we did quite a lot of you know work with them, and we still continue to do that. We continue to educate the communities. We continue to work with them, but also just to uh, explore and creatively find ways of like, how do we become more responsive? One of the ways is that we have also come up with uh, an emergency response you know, policy or you know, strategy, which before COVID-19, we didn't really have. But we know going to the towards the future, I mean in future, that emergencies uh they are going to come and we really need to be responsive, uh more responsive than just uh wait for, for them you know to come. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Etrid. Um it's amazing to hear about how your organization stepped in and helped bridge the gap for many families during COVID-19. Um I think a lot of the information we get about COVID-19 is very focused on Western countries. But um, I think I think just uh, it, you really helped us kind of understand how it's impacted um, um, Malawi specifically and, and, and poor families within Malawi. Um, a big part of your model seems to be talking about partnerships and engaging with all different types of partners and even engaging with the communities, the partnership model to build things that, that build on their their, their ways of doing things to really create these best of both world solutions. Um, we think, or at least our hypothesis is that, you know, women are a big um, anchor, focal point of, of, of these families and these household units. Um, and we're curious to hear about you, how you engage them and how you manage um, broader issues like gender inequality in, in Malawi. Yes, gender inequality, um, I think it's um, a global um allow me to call it a global pandemic as well <laughs> that is correct yeah um it is uh, uh, it's a but that but it's man, but its manifestation is different from you know context you know from context to context in malawi it's a highly uh through cultural practices yeah so it's it's that's where it's hidden more, and that's where it's also uh, manifested more. So, as an organization that's working in the communities, we also see it through the partners that we work with. And as a Malawian woman myself, I would be honest with you, I've also experienced it, highly experienced it from my childhood, like starting from my own family, going to outside there. Even today, as I sit here, I experienced that. Uh, it's evident there. So coming back to how Yamba Malawi has uh, worked to address that, we have, uh, first of all, made it a point that gender mainstreaming is one of our approaches to make sure that we're addressing and 
promoting gender equity or gender justice in the communities that we are working in to make sure that we are addressing the issues that to do with the inequalities, but also the gaps that are there uh, in terms of like, uh, you know, being female or being male. So our policy, first of all, we have a workplace policy, but also a policy that's guiding the work that we do within the organization. But secondly, we have also made it a point that that policy has an implementation, you know, strategy to make sure that it's really being grounded it's one thing to have a policy, but it's more important to make sure that it's being implemented. So we have an implementation plan for it. Uh, and we make sure that um, the communities that we are working with, they do understand how gender, you know, first of all, they should understand what gender is all about as a concept, but also they should understand how these, you know, inequities or inequalities um, kind of affect them, both of them, male and female, uh, when they are not addressed. So an example is where you have the communities, you know, um, you know, in Malawi, where you have uh, women not prioritized for a lot of opportunities. Key one being education. A lot of girls in Malawi are dropping out of school, getting married early or having teen pregnancies simply because parents or guardians or the communities just in, in, in general are focusing more on promoting the boy child. So the girl child, uh, sometimes it can be obvious, but other times it can be subtle. There are things that can happen that you may not necessarily, you know, uh, view as, you know, gender, promoting gender inequalities or, in, or uh, you know, um, uh, imbalances. Uh, but there are things that are happening culturally uh, that, you know, um, perpetuate the gender gaps, you know, the, the gender, you know, imbalances. Because, uh, for instance, you find that women uh both the girl and the boy okay they are supposedly given an opportunity to go to school however the boy is doesn't seem to be involved in in any household shows they wake up they go and play they go and do school they go and you know do whatever they can do without really being interfered on the other hand you have the girl child who is like labored she's compensating for the household labor drawing water long distances, going to fetch firewood long distances. And she has to rise up very early in the morning to take care of the family. They start taking care of the family at the early age, sometimes eight year old and even younger sometimes to make sure that the house is up and running, compensating for the, the, the mother's you know, roles in the household. Whereas the, the boy is busy getting ready for school. You know, the mind is tuning into school. The, the girl is busy tuning into how best can I take care of the family? And it's even in our languaging, it's even in our social socialization processes, you have to be uh, prepared for you being a wife. You know, you have to sweep nicely. You have to cook nicely. This is how you do it because you're going to be somebody else's wife. So, so the brain, the mind is uh, prepared for marriage more than it is prepared for education. So once the girl goes to school, her mind is, uh, first of all, tired. Secondly, because you are already socialized that Marriage is the most important thing. Your mind is clogged already and maybe reception there, like to be receptive to uh, the learning is also compromised. 
also there are some issues that affect girls. You know, our schools are in long, long distances. The girls have to walk long distances. They have to meet, they, in the process, they meet a lot of, you know, challenges. GBV, gender-based violence, where they are sexually harassed, Rap. There are a lot of rape cases, like on the in the media, and you know, every other time we are getting to learn about child, you know, defilement, you know, all those issues. Uh, so in the end, this girl child, she may not do well in class. By the time she gets to into class, she's sleeping and she doesn't have the energy to learn, to absorb whatever she's learning. So in the end, she'll drop out of school because one, she's thinking about marriage. And when an opportunity arises, even before she is matured, she goes and gets married. And that just brings in the cycle of poverty. Because when she drops out of school before a good education, it means she cannot take care of her uh, family, you know, she doesn't have the empowerment to uh, take care of, uh, good care of her family. So the cycle, it's a cyclic. Uh, it just goes on and goes on. So Yamba Malawi, uh, we've been trying to make sure that, first of all, parents must understand that giving children opportunities is much more than just registering for school. It's creating the level field, leveling up the, the playing field to make sure that the girl child and the boy child are treated fairly and equally from day one. Yeah, their, their perception must be, the face of the must both of them must be appreciated, but also the environment must be enabling enough, especially for the girl child to make sure that they're given, um, you know, these opportunities, uh, but also, uh, the burden is lessened on them to sort of uh, concentrate on their education. Um, apart from that, we also look at the households themselves, the gender dynamics in the household, because when we provide the support that we provide to the uh, to the households, to the caregivers, we call them caregivers, both parents and, you know, other, you know, caregivers. So we also make sure that they understand that the businesses that we are giving them, there are also dynamics there. You find that sometimes you are giving resources to a household and then the man will take charge, the man will take the money and, you know, when they make profit, the money, the man will take the money and start, you know, dictating on what to spend on. And half the time it will be selfish, you know, selfish expenditures like, oh, I want to take the money, they go and use it for drinking beer. But sometimes they also take the money and go marry, you know, other wives as well. So we've seen it many times. So we also make sure that from the onset, um, both partners, they understand the need, but also the importance of uh, both their involvement and engagement in the process, but also the, the need and the, the importance of them, you know, planning together, the need and the importance for them to be decision makers over how do they allocate resources uh, in the household. So all that is uh, part of the trainings. Part of the trainings that we do include the gender aspects. Gender training, we're training gender, but we also make sure that these conversations are part of the other curriculum, like the early childhood development curriculum, the business development curriculum, all the, it's all, it's, all the gender issues are also um, included there. Uh, so it's mainstreamed. Everything else is mainstream. But the good thing also is that um, we work with Minister of Gender, uh, mostly. So we sit in their technical 
working group where we are also privileged to uh, have the understanding of the policy direction of the uh, of the nation, like uh, of uh, Malawi government. So we also know, even when we're designing our programs, how best can we design these programs to feed on to the uh, national agenda? So, yeah, so I would say that's how we have uh, so far uh, worked on, on the gender, uh, gender issues. We make sure that number of staff, uh, the staff that we have, there's the balance. In Malawi, there's a policy that whatever we do, there must be 46 days of either gender. So we try to make sure that for us, it should be 50-50 or even more women on, on, on board. In all our structures, actually, board the board of directors, we make sure that the uh, participation of women there is reasonably uh, visible. But not only visibility, but their participation also should really be meaningful uh, and active. Uh, management, the same, as well as just generally uh, members of staff, we make sure that they are, there's a, the equal participation of uh, both genders. Thank you for that, Gertrude. Thank you for painting a picture of how you promote gender equality, both within Yamba itself and how you work with different partners in the government to pro promote that outside as well. I think in many developed nations, there are a lot of case studies of what it would look like if women were prioritized as much as men, if there was gender equality, the, what it would look like for the progress of the nation. But in Malawi's case, could you paint us a picture of what that would look like on a national level if women were valued in the same amount as men, women were afforded the same rights in sense of not just providing education to them, but removing the barriers for them to access that education and other opportunities that there are not as many barriers for men. What do you think that would look like? Um, I would say that would be heaven. <laughs> that would be heaven on earth. And uh, realistically speaking, we wouldn't even be talking uh, about Malawi being the fourth poorest country in the world. We wouldn't be talking about it that way because a lot of women would have been educated and the more women you educate, actually, it changes the uh, economic, economic status of, uh, first of all, the household. Secondly, it transfers that to the community. And uh, largely, it goes on to change the face of the socioeconomic face of the, of the nation. I would be simply, just simply uh, put, myself, I come from a family that was, uh, my mother never went to school. Um, she was literally didn't go to school. Um, but we are eight girls in our family, seven girls in our family. Um, and my dad made sure that all of us are educated. She made sure that all of us are educated. That was his goal. And I've seen it, how it has, it has transformed my family. Because when we, I was young, we used to live in a grass-touched house. Uh, half the time it was leaking. And uh, the floor was smeared with, uh, you know, uh, mud. Yeah. When it rained, would if it rained the whole night, would be standing the whole night because the house would be flooded with water. Wouldn't wouldn't sleep because we're sleeping on mats, mats made of reed, yeah. And half the time, we, our our household was very food insecure. My home village is very close to Mozambique. My mother had to travel. That time there was war in Mozambique, but she would had to risk her life to go to Mozambique to go and find food for us as her, as a child because she was not food secure. And it was very difficult to feed, you know, a lot of these, you know, us children, the 10 children all in total, because we were, you know, uh, seven girls and three boys. So to feed all that number of children, it wasn't easy for her. 
and we struggled. We, you know, I never knew how to have my own clothes in terms of like new clothes. I only inherited clothes from my sisters. Uh, whenever they are done with the something and, uh, you know, they would pass it on to someone because the family couldn't afford to buy new clothes. But since all of us got educated personally, like myself, everything has changed. Everything has changed, like transformation just came. I live in a better household. My children go to very nice schools. My daughter is very well educated. She's just now, right now, getting her second master's degree. And uh, that is a story that is came about, not because uh, of anything else, but education, to be honest. Uh, because if I didn't get education, I have friends who still remain in the village. Right now, when I go there, they look much older than myself because the conditions in the village are different. The access to the opportunities they don't have, those are, I drive there every time I'm, I'm driving there, I find them, they have grandchildren, their grandchildren, their daughters never went to school because it's, it's, you have to break the cycle of poverty. And you can really do that if you educate women. It's very transformational. And it's not just talking about these issues to promote gender, but practically it's here and it's evident. We don't have to go for research paperworks and um, uh, you know, reports about how, what, what education can do. We are the living testimonies. I am the living testimony. I can talk about these issues from, you know, uh, from the first hand uh, kind of thing, how I experienced poverty. And I would not ever want any child in Malawi to experience that. I really made sure that my daughter didn't experience that. If I went to the village, if I went to the uh, river to wash my clothes, I said, this is done with me. If I went into the, the, the village mountain to look for firewood, I said, this is going to be done with me. I don't want my daughter to do this anymore because I knew how transformative it is to be educated. And indeed, it ended with me. My child doesn't even know how to bundle. Of course, it's a joy. I mean, like for people who live in the African context to go and do certain things, but they're laborious. They are, there's sort of too much energy that is invested there. I don't want to say that as a, a demeaning way, but if they had better, I think they would do better. If they had electricity, I think they would love to be standing and cooking their kitchen nicely. Water is running there without them carrying buckets on their head. They can put on their weaves, no worrying about water on my on my head, you know, things like those. So uh, I would like to say if we got the gender imbalances dealt with, would create paradise and not to ways about it would create paradise and um if only government put good policies yes good policies we have but implementation half the time the resources that are allocated to these agendas are very minimal people love to invest in um, uh in agendas that are more tangible like uh, agendas that you can see the output to say, okay, we planted maize. This is 10 hectares, 20 hectares. You take pictures. This is a cow. This is a goat that we have, you know, given. But software programs like those, very few donors are interested to support those kinds of uh, uh, programs. And yet those are the ones that are transforming more transforming. I'm not saying the others are not transforming, but more transforming because that's where you change people's attitudes, you change people's mindset. Mindset change is one that is also key in terms of like transforming uh, you know, the world. Otherwise, you can have goats, you can have 
um, you know, whatever resources, you still be poor. I've seen houses that have those resources. They can't eat food. You go there, they will tell you, oh, my husband has to sign in the uh, in the bucket where we keep maize flour. Because if I cook, when in his absence, uh, he comes to me and asks me, why did you cook during lunchtime? I told you I was supposed to eat one, one meal a day. You see, if food is there, but it's not, the woman doesn't have decision-making you know, uh, opportunities to cook as and when the family needs it, to eat what, what, what is required for her to eat. So until we get those dynamics addressed, we are not going, not, we are not going anywhere. We're going to be revolving, revolving on the same spot and it's not going to be, look at the, the, the countries that are like, have very good uh, gender, uh, gender indicators, like uh, gender equality indicators. You can see that even the quality of life in those countries is very good. The poverty you know, rates, it's also you know, low. So we don't need to sing too loud. Uh, this is already evident. And we don't need more. We don't need more research because people are wasting time and money coming to Africa and saying we need to do more research. We need to do more research. No, it's time for action. It's time for us to really do something now. We've read it. We've seen it. We have experienced it. It's for action. Time for action now. And there you have it, folks, the end of part one of our conversation with Gertrude of Yamba Malawi. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Please stay tuned for part two coming up in two weeks. Again, happy holidays. Bye. <laughs>